some of you that are uh, in the room, and pardon me, but uh, it's just the era that I grew up in. Some of you all remember the 1970s. Some of you all had bell-bottom pants. So those things are coming back, aren't they? I am waiting on platform shoes to come back. I, you know, I, that's what I'm waiting on. Some of you remember the 1970s. You remember the bell-bottom pants and the uh, tie-dyes back. Uh, a lot of different things. But back, there's a lot of things. The 70s, it was, a, it was a very unique time. Sometimes I wonder if the way we look at younger people now is not the way we were looked at in the 70s. I don't know. Uh, I hope not, but <laughs> we never know. Some of y'all remember a pastor. His name was Bruce Wilkerson. Any y'all remember Bruce Wilkerson? Uh, not Bruce Wilkerson, but David Wilkerson. Sorry. David Wilkerson. Some of y'all remember David Wilkerson? He was the author of the, uh, the book, The Cross and the Switchblade, which actually became a movie. Wilkerson's ministry focused around taking the gospel into inner city gangs in New York City. Actually, in the uh, forthcoming months, we have a ministry team coming here to the church that is called Teen Challenge. And Teen Challenge will be uh, here uh, one Sunday during the summer. And Teen Challenge actually has even has roots and connections with uh, with the Assemblies of God and uh, David Wilkerson's uh, ministry. The uh, the ministry focused around uh, taking the gospel to the inner city gangs of New York. Uh, gangsters began to be saved. Now, uh, gangsters. When we think about gangsters, we're thinking about gang members. Gangsters begin to be saved. And because we're Pentecostal this morning, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost and fire. And it was very apparent. It was very obvious. There was people that were gangs, they seemingly were gangsters one day and they were preaching the gospel the next day. They were gangsters one day and they were laying hands on the sick and the sick recovering the next day. It was amazing what was happening. happening. And uh, what happened is, it's, it's apparent that what happened is some of the established believers, which is probably a lot of us in this room this morning, a lot of the established believers began to uh, struggle with a bunch of converted thugs operating in the fullness of the Spirit. And uh, that that... That brought on a message that uh, Pastor Wilkerson preached, uh, and I am uh, I'm going to do a spinoff of that message this morning. But I want to make sure that uh, Pastor Wilkerson gets the proper acknowledgement. You see, the the message involves uh, the prodigal son. The prodigal son. Uh, he went to his dad and asked his dad for his portion. He took that portion and he went out and was foolish. He squandered that portion, which was probably quite a bit. The prodigal, we know the story, most of us. He found himself with no money, no friends, and even the hogs were eating better than him. It's the account that we find in Scripture. Filled with remorse, this prodigal son as we know him 
makes his way home. And he even rehearsed, in his mind at least, possibly out loud as he walked down the road, he rehearsed his script, if you would, or the text. He rehearsed what he was going to say to his dad when he got home. When he got home, dad called for a celebration. And as dad called for this celebration, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter, excuse me, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. Luke chapter 15 and verse 17. The scripture shares, when he came to his senses, he said, this is the problem. How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make, make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, while he had rehearsed, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, break the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Which speaks of restoration. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Break the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile. Everybody say meanwhile. Meanwhile. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he was him back safe and sound. I think I missed my words. The older brother became angry. And refuse to go in. I underlined that for a reason in the text. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. So I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The dad. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. I want to preach to you for the next few minutes a message that I've entitled... Trapped on the outside by looking in. Trapped on the outside by looking in. Amidst all the celebration, 
that's going on. There's dancing. There's perhaps music. There's laughter. There's people eating prime rib. My favorite, you know, beef cut. There's people that, that are having a jolly good time in this celebration. And amidst all this celebration, the, the, the dad looks out the window of the house to see his son, the older son, gazing through the window, but refusing to come in. Their dad has no intentions of disincluding the son. Nobody does. Nobody means to leave him out. So the dad, of course, he sins for his firstborn. He sins and says, why don't you come on in here? And, uh, of course, you know from this reading the scripture that the elder brother refused to come in. Suddenly this son has become consumed with jealousy, anger, and animosity that is, of course, buried in resentment. Suddenly, this oldest son has a problem. He has a struggle. He's having a hard time dealing with this. Any of y'all ever have a hard time dealing with things? All of us, sometimes, sometimes I, I know, probably I'm just alone in this, but sometimes... There's occasions from time to time, not as much now, I guess, as I'm older as it used to be, that, that you have that thought, bless God, here I am, I've served God all my life, I've given my heart and life to Jesus, I've been faithful in the call that He's given me to, and look what I'm going through, and that person over there that never gives God a thought, they don't have any of the problems I'm having. I know I'm the only one that has thoughts like that. I have older son syndrome from time to time. I want you to know. All of a sudden, he is with me, witnessing his rebellious sibling receiving all the attention that he's desiring. In other words, and that is the love of his father. All of a sudden, this oldest son, he's seeing, he's seeing this, excuse me, but he's seeing this punk younger brother that's done everything wrong and he's getting a celebration and I've not even got such, so much as a goat. You see, perhaps the difference is found in, the difference maker is that the difference was found in the asking. The younger son was not fearful of asking. He had fallen flat in his face. We know that. He had, he had been a miserable failure. But not only did he ask if he could leave, he asked to leave. And his father granted him permission to leave. And even blessed him as he left, even though it was probably beyond the father's uh, uh, best thoughts and intentions for him. Uh, but he also comes back and not only asked for his portion when he left, but he comes back and he says, can I be one of your servants? Let me just point out to you that this younger son was not afraid to ask his father anything. But there's no indication that the elder brother ever asked his dad for anything. Did he ever ask his dad for a gun? 
Did he ever ask his dad for, uh, you know, to go ahead and divide the farm with me right now? There's no indication that he ever asked anything of his dad. And that, that was, that was part of the anger that he was feeling. That was part of the animosity that he's feeling. That, that he didn't get anything, but at the same time, he never asked for anything. He lived out and fulfilled his role as an obedient son, and he really had need of nothing. He didn't feel, maybe he didn't feel like he should ask for anything or that he could ask for anything. But in doing so, he failed to realize, or at least now he fails to realize, that everything that his dad had was already his. You see, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we, we let that slip our mind. And, and, and dad even confirms that in verse 31 when dad says, listen son, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is already yours. You know, it's not that you have to necessarily even come and ask me for anything. Everything that I already have is yours. Bear with me. But this this older son is dealing with the feelings or the emotions of being left out or being slighted. You know, I look at this older son and I... I think of this older son, and pardon my expression, but I'm going to I'm going to tag it as career Christians. Chris, career Christians are are those of us that's been in church practically all of our life, and we know we know we know all the ins and outs of church. We know how to do church. We know how to get dressed for church. We know how to go to church. We know how to act in church. Uh, we we know how to speak Christianese, and and you know when when we're called on for prayer, we can. Pray, dear Heavenly Father, I ask that in thy name that thou wouldst come and bless us this day and pour out thy spirit upon us, thine children. And, you know, we, we, we know all that stuff. We're career Christians. But I picture this oldest son being much of a, what I would call a career Christian. And in being a career Christian, we must guard our hearts like that older son needed to guard his heart against feeling the thoughts or the feelings or the emotions of the older brother. I was reading my blogs uh, several months ago and it was talking about different people and different churches that were struggling. And I, I thank God to my knowledge, we don't have anybody like this in our church family here at Voice of Praise. But it was right. It was a it was a uh, church member that called a meeting of the pastor and the board of elders, and because the church was growing and the church was flourishing, and this this person in the church that had been there for years and years, it's one of those that has like the brass plaque on the side of the pew with their name on it. Maybe her name was on the lid of the piano. You know, you know what I'm talking. You get my point. And she called for this meeting with this board of elders and this pastor, and said, I don't like all these new people coming to our church. I was happy just the way that it was. Had her own personal spoon over in the fellowship hall with her name on it. You see, sometimes, if we're not careful, we can become career Christians and Career church members and career church folks, and and we can have uh, entertain uh, similar emotions and similar thoughts of the elder brother, jealousy, animosity, resentment. All of those things beget anger. And let me tell you, here's the 
here is the here is the impact of all of that. Is anger will steal our joy. Let me let me tell you something. There are a lot of miserable people in the world today. There are a lot of people that are that are engaged in misery. Some of it some of it is just life itself. Some of it's been self induced. But I don't think there's anything that is really any more miserable than that of being a miserable Christian. Yeah, it's one of those people that say, are you happy? Brother, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. <laughs> Sister, are you happy? Why, yes, I'm happy. Well, somebody needs to notify between your happy heart in your face that there needs to be some kind of connection there somewhere along the way. You know what I mean? There's nothing worse than being any more miserable than being a miserable Christian. And when we, if we'll let jealousy and animosity and resentment and all those things, then we'll beget anger. And anger, if you would, if you would, brings to us, it, it robs us of our joy, it takes away our happiness, and ultimately it takes away our victory. So we must guard ourselves, we must guard our hearts of being like that elder brother. Yeah, he'd been there, you know, Dad, you never even gave me a goat. Well, you never asked for a goat, but you know everything that I have is yours. You didn't even, what Dad was saying, you didn't even have to ask me for a goat. Why didn't you just take one? It's yours. You see, we have, we, 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 we realize that the place and the position that we have in the kingdom of God, and I hope to touch on that here in just a few moments before I wrap this up. But when we, when we make this comparison between these two brothers, the prodigal as we know him, the one that, that foolishly squandered his part, the one that didn't, he wasn't hesitant about going and asking dad for anything. He wasn't hesitant to say, can I leave? He wasn't hesitant to say, can I come home? The elder brother that asked for nothing but was faithful all these years, and, but now he's jealous. So we begin to look and we see that there's two evils at work here. Which is the greatest of the two evils? The, the evil of misappropriation by the younger brother that, that took advantage of what his father had and, and squandered it away and wasted it? Or could it be that failing to appropriate at all was the worst of the evil. I don't have the answer for you this morning. I, I think that's something you've got to weigh out in your heart. But follow what I'm saying, what I'm saying to you in very layman's terms this morning. Which was worse? For, for the young man to say, Dad, I want my part, he takes it out and squander it. Or for the for the older brother to know that my dad has everything I want, everything I need, but I never really quite come to that place that I have the initiative or that I have the ambition or I have the desire to pick it up and to use and to make make use and to, to utilize everything that my dad has because my dad has everything I need but I fail to use it. It's like if your dad gave you a, a box of 
full of tools. You, you're wanting to build a house and your dad gave you a box full of tools and you had hammers, you had saws, you had nailers, you had everything, you had everything you needed to build the house. You had all the materials that you had, but you never ever build the house. God's given us everything that we need to accomplish his will for the kingdom. But this younger brother remained outside looking in. He remained outside looking in when all the time his father had already provided for him and to him everything that he needed. So which is the worst of these two evils? It's been here all along, that's it. Why haven't you used it before now? Now now you're coming telling me you don't have it. Why haven't you used it before now? You've been with me all of these days. Today I want us to take just the next few moments and consider, if you would, that failure to appropriate is the worst of the evils. The failure to appropriate, not misusing what God's given us, but failing to use it at all. And, and I, I have to ask you, why do we neglect to lay hold on everything that's in the Father's house? Why do we, why do we neglect? Why don't we grab hold of everything that God has for us? Why do we struggle with that? Could it be slothfulness, laziness? Or maybe it's ignorance. Maybe we don't understand all that God has for us. That's the easy one. That's the one that's most comfortable to come to grips with. But, but what we have to do is uh, perceive rightful ownership. A couple weeks ago, I preached the message from Joshua, how that they crossed into uh, Canaan land. And Canaan land is the promise of God as represented in that story of Joshua. And once Joshua and the Israelites crossed Jordan, they were already in the promise. Once, the, once they got across the, the, the Jordan River and it's the swell of it came shut behind them. If you remember last week, now their past is totally behind them. They're in the promise. But when they get into the promise, there's still battles to fight. There's still land to be searched out. There's still things to be accomplished once they got into the promise. Before they ever stepped more than one foot on the east bank of the Jordan, they found themselves in the promise, but they also found that there were trials and tribulations. But the older son failed to realize That he had the promise of all that his father owned. You see, we have that. But, you know, when I, I I'm not waiting on Canyon Line, the Canyon Land. I, I, I shared that old song, that old uh, Happy Goodman song. I used to sing. I'm living in Canaan now. There used to be another one out that says Canaan Land is just in sight. The different people perceive Canaan as different different ways. But but I, I look at Canaan and I, I I interpret Canaan myself as being the promise of God. And when I step into God's will, which is going to only come through and by a right relationship with Him that is established and made through faith and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I have stepped into Canaan and I have before me, yes, battles. I have, yes, some trials. I have, yes, some tribulations. But I also have every promise of God that He has laid out for me when I enter into a right relationship with Him. So, when we begin to think about that, I want to remind you that 
this young boy, in his thinking, or how he may not have just been a young boy, he could have been an older man at this time. In his thinking, his father, yeah, my dad owns everything, but I just wonder in this young man's thinking if he was thinking, yeah, but I've got to wait on my dad to die before I can have all of this because I'm a heir. Well, let me tell you something about heirship. Not heirship, heirship with an H. Let me share something with you along that line. You see, we need not forget in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17 that the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the church at Rome, wrote and made this statement that we have been made joint heirs with Christ. Everything that belongs to Christ belongs to me. Everything that has his father has, he has. So everything that he has, I also have. So I'm not in this world by all alone and by myself. I'm not on this journey alone and by myself. Yes, there's trials. Yes, there's tribulations. But everything that Christ has, ever promised that he is inherited through and by his father, I have inherited because I am joint heirs. With the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are in right relationship with Him, so are you. But what I do find are not terms of the promise is this. The promise was not only good for the future. It was not only good yesterday. But the promise is also good today. And whether you realize it or not. You don't have yesterday anymore. And you don't have tomorrow yet. The only thing that you and I have is today. Right now. So God took care of me through his promises yesterday. Did, are they things that I have missed? Are there things that I have missed out on with God? Absolutely. I'm sure they have because I didn't exercise the faith and I didn't ask God for the things I need. And, and he tells me if anything that we ask for, we shall receive. And, and there's things that, that I failed to ask him for that I probably missed out on. Is he the God of my future? And is he going to supply all my needs in the future? Absolutely. I have that faith. But I'm not there yet. But where I am at is in today. I am in right now. And whatever God has has in store for me right now, I receive it, I accept it for whatever I face right now. All's good. I'm standing in church and I'm preaching a message. And, and I've got a, we've got a wonderful congregation in this building and one out there in, in, in Facebook and, and Radio Land. And, but, 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 but I can have a warfare before I get home. And I'm not talking about my wife. I could be in battle. But whatever comes my way, God is sufficient because I can hold on to His promises. I don't have to wait for somebody else to die because the only death that needs to occur has already occurred. And that is through Jesus Christ. And He purchased my redemption as well as yours. You and I will not experience the fullness of God until we lay hand on the appropriation. And that's what I want to preach to you in closing. Three keys to laying hold of your inheritance. The first one is, don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. I've had people say to me, you know, preacher, 
I just, I just, I just find it hard to find it hard to ask God for anything because He has already given me so much. Or I find it hard to, to ask the Lord for anything because I, I've been such a bad person, I don't deserve anything. Well, let me tell you something. If you really think that, you don't understand the personality of who God is. Because He's not going to withhold any precious gift from you or me. Let me tell you something. God is not, He is not the type that He's going to hold something back because you've been a bad boy or a bad girl or something along that line, if you get what I'm saying. We, we can't be afraid to ask. In fact, Jesus said this as He spoke to His disciples, Matthew chapter 7 for later reference. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks will receive. The one who seeks will find. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And which of you, if you ask, if your son asks you for bread, will turn around and give him a stone? Let me tell you, that's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of Lord that we have. That's the kind of Jesus that I serve. That's the kind of Jesus that saved me. That when I ask, if I ask him for a bread, he's not going to give me a rock or a lump of coal. When I ask him to meet my need, he's not going to turn his back and say, you just want to have to suffer through it, boy. He's not going to neglect me. He's not going to turn his back to me. But he's going to minister to me in his will and his way, granted. But he is not going to leave me, nor is he going to forsake me. I can't be afraid to ask the Lord for the things that I need. It's not about I've asked Him too much. You're not going to bankrupt heaven. Uh, you're not going to overdo it. You're not going to overdraw your heavenly account. God's got it. He's an artesian well. He's an artesian well of grace and mercy and supply that is bubbling up. You can't dry the well up. Ask God for the things that you need. Secondly, Search the motive of your heart. Search the motives of your heart. As you search the motives of your heart, I think that is this is a key element to that when we ask. James chapter 1, the, in the epistle of James, James, he, he, he said, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Out of, I think this may be the New Living Translation. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Make sure when we ask God, make sure that, that the things that we ask for are the things that are not to just benefit us, but they're going to benefit the kingdom of God. They're going to benefit the, 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 those that we're in contact with, that the kingdom of God will be edified, that they may see Christ in us. It's not about, listen, it's not about saying, oh Lord, I'd like to have a new Cadillac. You know, I, I don't struggle with that at all. But when it comes to saying, Lord, I'd like to have a new street glide in that desert white curl with all the chrome front end and all that on it and already with, you know, the, the you know, something like that, Vanson Hines pipes on it. Now that might be a struggle for me a little bit, but I don't care anything about the Cadillac. But you see, the real reality is, is when we begin to ask the Lord for things, we don't ask, we're not in pursuit of selfish motive and selfish things about our life. And we begin to ask the Lord for things that are going to bless us, that we may bless others, and we may bless others, that we may bless Him. And then thirdly, 
We must have faith when we ask. We must have faith that when faith makes no sense, that it still works. You know, probably all of us together, all of us together in this room, most, most all of you all, uh, you know, most all of you all, with the exception of Charlie, are smarter than me. No, I'm just picking at Charlie. He's, he's smarter than me, too. That's why he doesn't have any hair. But do you know that, you know, we could put all of our intellect together in this room? Those that are watching out there and in social media land, they, we could put everybody's intellect together. We have some pretty intelligent people in this room. But we could bundle it all together and we still don't have enough intelligence to really comprehend faith. But when we begin to look at faith and we begin to consider faith, that, that have faith when it makes no sense to have faith. Believe when there seems like there's no longer any reason to believe. I've talked this week, this past week, I spoke with people that have tragedies occurring in their family. Once, one was a family that are, that's dealing with cancer, that's been diagnosed as terminal, and there's nothing we can do, nothing can happen. And, and, and I encouraged that family, I said, we still gotta have faith. And that family said, well that's all we can have right now. I said, that's true. Hold on to that. Well don't, Regardless of what the doctors say, regardless of what you see happening, have faith until you can't have faith anymore. Have faith when faith makes no sense. Romans chapter 4, Paul addressed that to the church. Verses 20 and 22, Paul said this. He said, against all hope. First three words. Against all hope. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him. So shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. This is an old man. This is a hundred year old man that's been told that you and your wife are going to have a baby. There wasn't much hope there. If I was a hundred years old, somebody told me out at Sarah and I, my Sarah, not Abraham Sarah, but my Sarah, told me at a hundred years old we going to have a baby, I would be saying, I hope not. You know, I hope not. But in verse 19, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So even when you don't, even when we can't have faith, even when faith, it looks like hope is ridiculous. Faith is ridiculous. There's no point in believing any longer. Still have faith. Still have faith. Don't be a 
afraid to ask. Search the motives of your heart. Make sure they are pure. And even when faith makes no sense, still have faith. Still believe in God. Don't be caught like this older brother. Don't be caught outside looking in. You know, see, that younger brother, man, he messed up greatly. Yes, it would have been a tragedy had he died out there in the hall pen. Yes, it could have been much worse. And should have been much worse when we sit down and look at it. But he came back and said, hey, dad, can I come home? Can I be a servant in your house? Hey, dad, would you let me go to start with? Did you let, would you let me go to have all my money? Let me go live the way I want to. And, and he, he would come and he would ask of the father. But this, this oldest son, we don't find any record that he asked his dad for anything ever. And while that may sound admirable in some ways, he missed out on everything that God had for him or everything his dad had for him. And not only did he miss out on it, but the problem of it is he became angry in it. So failing to ask God for the things that we need. Failing to ask God for our rightful inheritance. Failing to ask the Lord could very well lead us to being left on the outside looking in. You see what happened with going back to Wilkerson. Going back to Wilkerson, what was happening is he had there there it's apparent that there was a church full of people, a church full of, of, of Pentecostal people, mind you. That, that, that had been serving the Lord for many years and doing a whole lot of things, worshiping the Lord and, and, and doing church and what have you. Now all of a sudden a bunch of thugs are being converted, a bunch of drug addicts, a bunch of gangsters are being converted. And all of a sudden that the church is watching them, uh, uh, operate in everything that the Lord had for them. And the church was feeling bitter about it. They were feeling slighted. Well, we've been serving God all these years. We've been faithful. But you know what? I talked, Sarah and I spoke with somebody earlier. And as we spoke with somebody earlier, you know what? If you're feeling left out in, the, in all that God has for you, if you're feeling slighted, if you're feeling left out, I don't mean to sound incompassionate. I don't mean to lack grace and mercy in your presence this morning. But here's the thing. If you if you are a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have faith in Him and you feel slighted in His kingdom, the problem is not with Him, it's with you. The scripture says, Submit yourself therefore unto God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. You give everything you've got over to Him. You give every 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 circumstance. Not just your not just your worn out shoes that you need a new pair of shoes. Not that you need this. Not, you give. He wants everything from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. He wants everything that you have. He wants you to give it to Him. And then when you want you given it to Him, then when we go to Him, we say, Lord, Lord, here I am, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my mother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And I need you, Lord, right now. I need you. I, I need, whether you need a fatted calf or you need a goat, Lord, I need you. 
Lord, it looks like all hope's gone. There's nothing else to hope for. Everything's wasted. Everything's falling apart. Everything's gone. There's nothing else to believe for. But you just keep on believing Jesus. See, the Bible says that we have not because we ask not. Or because we've asked amiss. That's the King James Version of the Scripture I read to you just a moment ago. And amiss means we've asked for the wrong reasons. We have not one. So what do you need from God today? If you're in this room and you're unsafe, you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're watching by, by social media and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me tell you, your greatest need in your life is salvation. There's no... I don't... It's not... It's... You may be sick, you can have a, a terminal illness, you can, anything in your world can be going on right now, but if you're not saved, that's the most urgent need in your life right now. So with hands bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you this question. If you're in this room and you need Jesus, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to expose you, I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you're, in, if you're in this room right now and you need Jesus, you need to be saved. Or you need to rededicate your life to Him. You wander far away from home. If that's you today, with nobody looking around, I want you to slip up your hand real quick and say, pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me. Anybody in this house, thank you. Is there any others in this room? A couple of hands have went up. Are there any others? right now and you've been struggling as a believer. You've been struggling. As a believer, you've been seeing other people around you being blessed. Maybe even some of those people don't even seemingly give God a thought. They have no testimony of faith. But you're seeing them blessed. And you're just quite honestly, quite honestly, you're really struggling with it. If that's you and nobody looking around, if that's you, right now I want you to slip up your hand real quick and say, pray for me, preacher. Anybody in the church? Thank you. Are there others? Thank you. Are there any more? Thank you. This is what I want us to do right now. As I've already said, nobody can do anything about our situation. Accept us in our one-on-one relationship with the Lord. So if you would stand to your feet with me today. If you're one of the people in this room that slipped up your hand and said, I need to be saved or I need to rededicate my life, you're the only one that can really do anything about that. But I want you to know I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to pray for you. So if I can help you, I'm here. You raised your hand. If you're one of those that raised your hand and said, I'm, I'm just dealing, I'm, I'm dealing with watching other people being blessed. I'm having a hard time with that when I feel like I've been faithful. If that's you, I'm here to pray for you as well. But to make it a little bit more comfortable, if you would like to come up to the altar, I'm going to invite everybody that can and will just to make your way up towards the front here at the altar area. Is there anything sacred about what we call the altar area? No, not really. 
Let it begin when we begin to step out and make a statement of faith. Can I have some people? People, all, all, anybody, everybody. Can I have some people? Let's begin to fill up this altar area right now. Some believers.